Are you able to hear me out there? All right, Kurt, can you go to my mic and go to that level two that goes out to the internet? Do you know which one that is? Number two? Hang on a second. All right, and on live stream, if you could send me a little something to let me know if that adjustment helps at all or not would be great. Okay. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Here Jesus is. Here Jesus is what? Well... In our gospel lesson for today, we want to understand what Jesus is, is he's in the middle of something. And for that, I want to do a little bit of reading for you. I know you're so used to that. But what is really kind of helpful for us is to recognize the context into which today's reading comes. So the gospel lesson, I want to read from right immediately before all the way through till the story after, which is a little bit of reading, but what I want you to listen for is here are three parables in a row where Jesus is making a point through all three of them. And I want you to catch this because it's really important. Okay, it goes like this. So the, the story right before this says this. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe them. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. That's our one for today. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed." When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Then the next story. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. 
He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but I have invited, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. What's the point? The point from these parables is Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders and he says, you who are insiders are out. You who are insiders are out. You who do not do what I say, do not bear the fruit, are gone. You will be replaced. Can you imagine scarier words? This is what's coming. Because you refuse to hear and follow through. Because you've refused to bear fruit. Go back to that Isaiah 5 passage. The people of God, the planting of God, Israel, the vineyard was to produce fruit. But instead, they did injustice instead of justice. Unrighteousness instead of righteousness. Here, Jesus is telling them, you're going to be replaced. Three parables in a row. It's going to happen. That's scary stuff, isn't it? What else is Jesus here? Here, in this parable today, Jesus is, well, he's the son, right? He's the son who was to receive this awesome inheritance. The fruit that this vineyard would bear should be his. And he's also the rejected son. The one that they had not yet, but would kill. Just like they disregarded all the ones that came before him, That's what they would do. One more thing that I want to really focus on today, and it's where I want to spend the majority of my time. Here Jesus is one more thing. He's speaking harshly to those religious leaders. He is the son. He is the rejected son who would be put to death. And he's, as we find out a little bit later in the parable, he's the stone. Now, as we think of stones, there's three things I want to talk about today when it comes to stones. Okay? First one is found for us in the Old Testament book of Joshua. So Joshua, they're going out of the, of the desert. They're moving into the promised land. And it says this in Joshua 4, that as they were going over the uh, Jordan River, Joshua says to, the Lord says to Joshua, choose 12 men. From among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Now, why these stones? Okay, remember that when God brought his people out of Egypt, okay, that he brought them through the Red Sea, 
dry land, right? Which is astounding. God brings them then into the promised land, and they go across the Jordan River on dry ground. Okay? Remember how it is? About a mile up the road, there's no roads, but a mile up the way of the river, it stops. And so there's this huge spot where the people of Israel can cross into the promised land. It, the Jordan River, like the Red Sea, divided for them. And they were to take 12 stones out as a remembrance. Now, Jesus, who is the stone right here in this thing, when we think of stones, stones for remembrance. Well, what has God given us? We don't go around putting little Ebenezer's, little memorial stones everywhere, okay? What do we do instead? It used to be that you would come to the table. Now I bring it to you. And you would receive the very body and blood of Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected, that was rejected. Okay? I give that to you. And you know what that is? That you would remember his death until he comes. Why is that significant? I told you this a few times before. I really want you to get it into your head. Okay? Why is it significant that we remember his death? Look to what extent God Almighty would go to redeem you. To me, that's a big deal. To to our culture, I don't know. Because our culture right now is kind of like, I'm so great, I'm really wonderful. Have you spent time with me? I am the best. I can't imagine how how blessed you are that you got to spend an hour with me today. Wow! You are so blessed. Is that the attitude we walk around with? If it is, if it's not, how blessed are we that God Almighty wouldn't give us what we deserve, but would shed his blood and give his life for us that we would be brought that extent that God would go to to reconcile us with himself. Pretty awesome. Second, this whole idea, if you look at verse 44 in the Matthew 21, it, talks, it says something very interesting to us I want you to catch. Pardon me. I have a mess up here. 44 says, And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And that takes us to the book of Daniel. If you would, listen to what this has to say. There's a king, his name is Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel's day. And he has this dream, okay? And, and, he, and Daniel is describing this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance, The head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And none of that statue was left. I won't read the rest, but if you want to, Daniel 2 is awesome. Go ahead and read that. What I want you to see is that rock that was made not by human hands, that rock is the stone who is mentioned today. His name is Jesus. 
and his kingdom comes along, and that gold and silver and bronze and the feet, iron and clay, all of that, that's the kingdoms of the Medes and Persians after the Babylonians were, or Babylonians are the gold, then Medes and Persians are the silver, then Greece, then Rome, then Rome. All of those kingdoms are going to fall, and Jesus is going to come along with his kingdom and crush them. All of those enemies of Jesus will be crushed. And we live in America. We're like, well, God shouldn't be so mean to crush like that. But they're his enemies. And he is an almighty, powerful God who comes to crush. And even those he doesn't crush, they stumble over him, right? And are broken. Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Like Marilyn said after I, after I did my little thing for Pat. Okay, It's great that you humble yourself. Isn't that what it means to stumble over Jesus? and fall, and, and are broken. We are broken. We are humbled. We can't do it ourselves. We desperately need a Savior. So the rock, Jesus, comes, and he crushes his enemies. On that final day, we will rejoice in that good news. If you've ever had an enemy who treated you horribly and oppressed you and made your life miserable, you were glad when that enemy was taken away, weren't you? So Jesus comes to crush his enemies. And even for us, we stumble and fall and are broken. So we see our need for him. So far, so good? Next. He's also the cornerstone, as it says. If you look at this other passage from Psalm 118, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And we learn a little bit more about that in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, the living, the living stone. So Jesus is the living stone, rejected by men. That's what we just read. But chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So we are those living stones built on our cornerstone, that one in the corner that makes the, the, the wall straight. And so we are on top of Christ, the cornerstone, built on him like living stones, where we become this temple, wherein God, the sacrifices are offered, everything acceptable to God, because we're set on Jesus, that stone, that cornerstone. Our life, our nourishment, our direction, all comes from being on him, built on Jesus. So far, so good? All right, so we get that. We get the whole idea of who Jesus is. He's the son. He's the rejected son. He's the stone. He's the one that's going to crush. He's the one that enlivens and gives us life so that we might bear fruit. What does it look like to bear fruit? Well, I think, first off, what we have to remember, do you see what that little thing is? Here Jesus is. What is he for us? Can you tell what that is? Yeah, it's a vine. It's a grapevine. What does John 15 tell us? Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the? Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Nothing. Apart from Jesus. Not connected to Jesus, we can't do anything. And so it goes on then to say, because again, these uh, religious people, okay, they were all into it for themselves. And so there's sometimes that we need to be reminded of this. Jesus said to us, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. 
which is what it sounds like for this first story I want to read to you. I remember many years at a pastor's conference, many years ago at a pastor's conference. A pastor opened up his heart and shared his struggles with cynicism and unbelief. He lamented, what about me? What do I do with my heart? The other pastors began offering advice, all except one young missionary. He was so troubled and he interrupted them and said, our brother doesn't need advice. He needs someone to weep with him. Then he burst into tears and prayed for the struggling pastor. It transformed the conference. Think for a moment about your relationships, the the opportunities God gives you to engage with others. When people are really struggling, do you like to come in, come close, be with them, not always try and fix them, but just be with them in the middle of the things that are overwhelming for them in life? Or do you like to give advice from afar? I don't like to get my clothes dirty. I mean, that's really, boy, being with you is going to be difficult. I mean, you're kind of dirty, you're kind of smelly, you don't do things that make me look good. I'd rather just give advice from afar than engage you close by to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Do you ever feel like one of those lepers that nobody wants to touch? Y'all are really quiet. Am I being depressing today? I'm not trying to be depressing. Y'all are really quiet. Okay. Is that ever true for you? Do you ever just give advice from afar rather than connect with the person? Do you ever feel like one who's not been connected with and that people just don't have time for you? I've been there with the given advice from afar. There's a little, a little triangle that I've got in my office. And it says on the bottom, it, so it's got three levels. So if you would just humor me and do this with me so I know you're still awake with me because I can't see that far, Okay. On the bottom is the word connect. Could you say that with me? Connect. Then on the top of that it says instruct. Instruct. In the very top it says correct. Correct. So we want to connect. So we want to connect with people. Then we want sometimes in our lives, like yesterday I had a phone call with a, a young man, wonderful young man, okay? But he had... He, he was reading a certain book, and I said, well, can I hear who the author is? And, and I looked it up real quick, and it's like, uh, not such a great author. He's going to kind of lead you down a certain way. So, so I, I connected. I've been listening for a while. And then I just spent a little time instructing about some of the dangers and then just offered a little correction, and he took that and was, was great. Okay? I wonder, though, how much of the time we invert that triangle. And we spend almost no time, because if it's a triangle, the big part's on the bottom, right? We spend almost no time connecting. We spend a bunch of time instructing, and we spend a vast majority of our time correcting. Does that ever happen for you? People ever want to just fix you by correcting all that's wrong with you? You can respond today. Honestly, it's okay. What's that? Good luck? Yeah. Because the more that you try to correct other people, what do they do? Don't want to hear it. Fight back. All sorts of other things. So part of our bearing fruit, because there might be changes that other people need to make or there might be changes we need to make, we need to first come in and say, do I have enough connection 
that they value the relationship and they have ears to hear. Are there people in your life that you don't have enough of a connection with yet? Here's the the scary word. I wonder how many times within marriage there's not enough connection yet and too much time is spent trying to correct one another. Is that a crazy thought? I wonder how many times husbands and wives spend more time trying to correct each other's bad behavior or things they don't like about each other rather than taking some time to connect and understand what in the world's going on. You know, if I have some people coming in, they're having a hard argument, you know what the, what the problem always is? They are. Okay, they're the problem. And you know, there's a, a counselor who's out there and he says, just like what I try and remind you of too, okay? And that is, if I want to change my dynamics of my relationships so that they become more fruitful as we bear that abundant fruit in our vineyard of loving one another and of honoring God, what we want to do is draw on his resources, right? We want to stay connected to Jesus. When we stay connected to him, we want to glorify God. And the second thing we want to do is look at myself. Get the log out of my own eye. There will be some times when you're only the victim. But in a lot of relationships where there's problems and struggles and we're not bearing much fruit and loving one another, a lot of the times we both bring things to the relationship that cause it to have a hardship. And instead of me focusing on what's wrong with the other person, what if I looked at myself first? That's the part that oftentimes gets skipped. Listen to it this way. The importance of connection I may have read this to you before, but I love the story so much. We're going to do it one more time. This is from Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. He says, Take my son, Brandon, and his development as a football player. He had been playing on the offensive and defensive lines all through high school. At six foot two and 250 pounds, he was formidable. He loved to knock every player wearing an opposing journey jersey to the ground. Having played quarterback, I didn't fully appreciate the blue-collar nature of being a lineman. Linemen are like mountain goats. I wouldn't say that to a lineman, but he says it. They're like mountain goats. They put their heads down and hit things. It makes them happy. At St. Thomas More Prep School in Connecticut, Brandon's coach moved him to linebacker, and his role suddenly changed from hitting everything he saw to avoiding players who were trying to block him. He was supposed to play off blocks, dodge them, if you will, and get to the ball. But Brandon continued to confront opposing blockers head-on, which kept him from getting to the ball carrier. His coach pleaded with him to avoid blockers, but Brandon couldn't change. He loved to hit. Flattening opposing players was a source of pride. Both his coach and I kept trying to explain it to him, and every time we got the worst possible answer, you're right. What was the coach and his father trying to do? They were of connect, instructor, correct. What were they trying to do? Yeah, they were really busy correcting him. And he would say, you're right. He agreed in theory, but he didn't own the conclusion. Then he would go right back to the behavior we were trying to get him to stop. He would smash blockers and take himself out of the play. Why is you're right the worst answer? Consider this. Whenever someone is bothering you and they just won't let up and they won't listen to anything you have to say, what do you tell them to get them to shut up and go away? You're right. It works every time. Tell people you're right and they get a happy smile on their face and leave you alone for at least 24 hours. But, you haven't, but they haven't agreed to your position. 
you have used your right to get them to quit bothering you. I was in the same situation with Brandon. He didn't hear me and embrace my request. What could I say to get through to this kid? How could I reach Brandon and help him to change course? I took Brandon aside before a crucial game. I had searched my mind for a way to hear the two critical words, that's right, when we've really connected with someone, we've heard them. You seem to think it's unmanly to dodge a block, I told him. You think it's cowardly to get out of someone's way that's trying to hit you. Brandon stared at me and paused. That's right, he said. With those words, Brandon embraced the reality of what was holding him back. Once he understood why he was trying to knock down every player, he changed course. He started avoiding the blocks and became an exceptionally fine linebacker. Maybe what God is doing, maybe what Jesus is today, is he's the source that you connect into so that you can connect well with others. As they told me at the seminary, you earn the right to give the law. And so if I want to offer correction, I need to actually have the right. People have to know I love them and care for them, and then they're more open to hearing what I have to say, which this young man I spoke with yesterday really was. Now, he said, you're right, and I was a little disappointed, but it's okay, because it was something he needed to hear. I had connected with him enough before. Think on it for a moment. Are there any relationships you have right now where you're in the correct stage, correcting stage, when it might be more beneficial to bear fruit if you were connecting. Can you think of any? Because what God desires is for justice, for righteousness, for bearing fruit of love. That's what he's longing for, right? And who is Jesus? He's the one that's so connected to us that he makes all those things possible. He's already lived your life for you perfectly. And now he's living through you to be a blessing. Amen? Amen.